are you doing this to me? What am I doing? Embarrassing me. I'm not embarrassing you. I can't keep up. It's pruned. Much longer. I came here. I found out who you were, where you live. I came here in the middle of the night. I wanted to know what it would be like to fuck you. I brought money. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Welcome to another sexy installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 185, American Gigolo. Richard Gere. Not to be confused with Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. No, but there are some similar <laughs> themes. <laughs> One Trashy Summer, All 80s A Dish, Volume 2. Yeah. Here we go. Two I- eps so far, two neo-noirs two crime dramas nothing better than richard Gere just like wearing a suit driving around a convertible 80s music just blasting hair oh, blown yeah. in the wind love it i would say that what you're talking about is the legacy of american gigolo which is the cool aesthetic it was very influential on certain filmmakers yeah and I, writers I was, and, and stuff yeah the way the music was when I was watching it, I, w- I was just thinking like how many current directors are basically replicating this this score and this feel. It was a big influence on the novel Less Than Zero, which we did the movie of. Oh yeah, that's right. Julian being the same name. You doing that episode, kicking and screaming, not really wanting to be a part of that, but... No, that's not true. Get out of here. <laughs> Written and directed by Paul Schrader, starring Richard Gere and Lauren Hutton. 1980 is lauren hutton in anything else i'm sure she is but (laughs) she has like a familiar look to her but i I don't know what else she's in. yeah i'm not super familiar with her although i knew the name i kind of was finding myself wishing it was kelly lynch actually i think she would have been way too young (laughs) roadhouse didn't even come out till nine years later uh yeah that's a good point I mean, they basically filmed this in the 70s. Wow, okay. It came out in 1980. Okay, yeah. In a lot of ways, this movie... Like, started the 80s. Yeah, it's like ahead of its time for the 80s look. Because it doesn't really feel like the 70s at all. No. I'm sure they filmed it probably in 79. Yeah, and watching it, I would not have thought 1980. Maybe I 
was reading about it on Wikipedia or something at some point, and I saw a 1980, but just by look alone, I would have thought closer to mid-80s. Before we jump in and we get going on One Trashy Summer, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at Pod. Things really heating up, as That's usual. Right, yeah. People loving it. <laughs> People really interacting with the podcast. It keeps us alive. Make sure you're subscribed to our show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. I have to say, we've been on Podbean since the beginning of our run. There have been some issues at times, but for the most part, I have to recommend Podbean to anybody out there. It's I don't have any complaints. Easy. Yeah. So <laughs> for all easy, of you that cheap. you know want to do this for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people our age willing to take this much time and commitment yeah i mean they probably have like a little bit more self-awareness and <laughs> to think why would you waste your time right <laughs> hey we waste our time for the listeners that's, that's why absolutely american gigolo for those of you who don't know and i do think there's probably a lot of people out there who aren't super familiar with this movie because it didn't really carry on i guess it's not as known now as it probably should be but it was written and directed by Paul Schrader, which I said. But he's, at this point, he's still probably mostly known as a writer. Right. For writing Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver. This is his third directorial effort after Blue Collar and Hardcore. Okay. Hardcore is kind of an intense movie with George C. Scott and his daughter getting involved in pornography. Oh, is that the like the famous... Turn it off. Yeah. Is that in that movie? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rough watch. Gotcha. It's not a great movie, but it it's entertaining and it, it touches on some darkness that Schrader would continue to explore. Yeah. But this movie is the story of a high-priced male escort in L.A. who becomes romantically involved with a prominent politician's wife while simultaneously becoming the prime suspect in a murder case. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> takes him a while to come to terms with the fact that him being linked to this crime is, is kind of sketchy and something that he should be concerned with. Yeah, I I would say that the story overall is secondary to the aesthetic of the film. Uh, agreed, though. yeah. Because even the details, when they're finally revealed at the end, you just kind of shrug. Right. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess that okay. makes sense. You're not really sure what the motivation is of yeah. anybody at any point. <laughs> The budget was $5 million. The box office was $52.7 million. It was a big hit. It confirmed wow. Richard Gere's status as a leading man. He had been in some movies and stuff before, but not really like big movie star type movies necessarily, and kicked off a pretty good run through the 80s and 90s. Officer and a Gentleman, oh, Pretty yeah. Woman, etc. Pretty big box office star. To this day, still acting and starring in things, yeah. not as much. And I feel like it's been a while since I've seen him now, though. Yeah, the volume's turned down yeah. on the career over Mothman time. Prophecies, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that stands out about American Gigolo, and I guess it's why it would pop into mind for One Trashy Summer, is, I mean, it's sort of a salacious story in yeah. general, but it's one of the first mainstream Hollywood films to include frontal male nudity from its main star. Yeah, that's true. Which we always look forward to. And I guess just like not, <laughs> okay. not a lot of movies about male prostitution, at least like uh, in a way that they're being presented like this, almost glorified. Usually if there's a male prostitute in a movie, there's some sort of 
I've spiraled out of control on drugs. Uh, or it's, it's yeah, dark, there's a sadder element to yeah. it, like my own private Idaho. Right. This is more like Richard Gere's living the good life. Although, the, it, you know, there is some hints to like what it took him to get to this level. Yeah, he, he, there's definitely like a selling out yeah. of yourself, which I think is sort of a, an allegory for Hollywood in general. Sure. It's like Neon Demon. Yeah, I do think there's like some similarities between American Gigolo and, and Neon Demon for sure. Things that jump out to me about the quality of the film, first and foremost, the score by Giorgio Moroder, who co-wrote Call Me by Blondie, which is oh yeah in the movie. A rocker. And sort of sampled throughout the movie in different ways. And it became a number one single. It was a huge hit. And the film also, by the way, credited with popularizing Giorgio Armani in Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> So Did two Giorgios know. coming out strong. Yeah. And then also the cinematography by John Bailey. It, it's cool, glossy veneer. It's the polar opposite of body heat in that body heat really cranks up the heat of Florida. Yeah. It makes you feel the heat. This is American like, Gigolo makes L.A. seem cold. Yeah. Well, or like a comfortable sunniness. Because even there's I was finding myself thinking as he's like walking down the sidewalk during the day, there's the one part where it's like, walking down the strip and being followed by the chick. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I was like thinking to myself, like, man, I would be so sweaty walking around on a sunny day. Yeah. I think they took great pains to eliminate that kind of a, a feel to it. I, I definitely think the intention is to make it feel cold in a way. Cold, but or comfortable even. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying like, Beyond the actual temperature. Yeah. I'm saying like there's the cold feeling of the I movie. Right. Like there's sort of a detached, like body heat is very visceral. Oh yeah. And in your face with like humanity and how humanity would react in those kind of temperatures where this, there's like this detached, it's all about how cool someone is. And if you see Julian or any of the characters in the movie sweating, it sort of loses that. Agreed. Feel. Yeah. So a highlight for everyone always on the podcast is when I decide to read some stuff. <laughs> it and is our favorite. <laughs> I literally pulled a book off of my bookshelf for this wow. one, folks. Overexposures, The Crisis in American Filmmaking from 1981, written by the film critic David Thompson, who's still putting out different books about film as of today, basically. I, I bought his most recent book like last summer was all about sex in the movies okay content a lot we're all to interested say. in and i i pulled a couple of excerpts i think i'm only going to end up reading two instead of the three that i pulled he talks a lot about this film in particular and i i don't think it's surprising at all when you go back and you look at the reviews for this movie initially and how a lot of critics reacted to it pauline kale one of the more famous critics ever was sort of obsessed with this movie also okay I don't know that Ebert was, but I know that he wrote about it. I think he gave it a positive review. I don't know if he was like as over the top about it, but this was definitely like a critic's movie in addition okay, to good. being a box yeah. office success. So this is the first excerpt I'm going to read. Nearly 30 years later, could Richard Gere's Julian Kay be the offspring of Norma Desmond and Joe Gillis? This arc of association spans 1950 and 1980 from Sunset Boulevard to American Gigolo. The arc may be as elegant a curve as arcs are meant to be, a shape in history discovered by the light, but at either end, there lurks a virulent, suggestive, trashy movie. Julian Kay, 
is the young man in American Gigolo who hires himself out to bring sexual home runs to wealthy but arid ladies in Los Angeles. One of the women he has lately brought to Climax is murdered, and Julian is the leading suspect. Why not? (laughs) The moody husband who chose to watch did ask Julian to beat on his wife's unresponsive cunt. Oh, boy. But Julian, harassed victim of circumstances will be saved by Lauren Hutton, the wife of a senator, someone Julian has met in the polo lounge, and who has herself begged for his loving service. I thought this was interesting because that's kind of the the crux of the argument that he's making, or the, or the commentary, is sort of the similarities to Sunset Boulevard, which we did on this show, and how in 1950, I don't want to step on my clips from later that i'm going to read but okay essentially in 1950 you have a guy who ends up with norma desmond and how the standards of the time sort of don't ever tell you exactly what's going on physically we talked about it specifically when we did that episode how there's this question mark and how joe essentially is willing to sell himself out when things aren't going his way in his life yeah and Julian Kay in American Jiggle is like the logical extension of that. 30 years later, what that looks like, what that person does, how he survives in L.A. It's true. I have to say, I'm kind of into these uh, older women in this movie that are, you know, <laughs> in need of a little bit more than what they're getting in life. Yeah, and Julian has like a whole theory and a whole mantra as to why... That's what he's interested in, rather than younger girls closer right. to his age. Yeah. So we have Richard Gere as Julian Kay. He's our main character. He is... Our hero. Sort of much different than Travis Bickle, which was the main character of Taxi Driver, one of Schrader's earlier yeah. scripts. And yet there is this similarity in terms of... Detachment. Detachment and... Uh, Outcast a little bit. So, yeah, sol- Solitude. Yeah. Sort of fringes of society. The part was originally offered to Christopher Reeve, who turned it down. Oh, wow. And at one point, they were going to move forward with John Travolta, who then left the project. And I guess it's just one of those weird coincidences in life, but Richard Gere essentially made an entire career taking movies that Travolta turned down. Oh, wow. First was Days of Heaven, which was two years prior. Okay. The Terrence Malick movie. Yep. Two years after American Gigolo, An Officer and a Gentleman, which is just stunning that Travolta would turn that down. It was a huge movie. Oh, I love One of Officer the definitive and a movies of the 80s. <laughs> love and then up where we belong. It continued all the way basically 25 years later with Chicago. Oh, wow. One for okay. Best Picture. Travolta also turned that down. I had no idea. As we mentioned, I think the most important element of American Gigolo is the aesthetic, the cool factor convertibles attractive people lounging next to picture perfect pools it does just feel like all they do is like go buy nice clothes play tennis hang out by the pool it is just this whole lifestyle that is like devoid of having to do anything i think it sort of ropes you in with that in terms of like this is aspirational look how great this is look how fun life is and then the twist is this sucks (laughs) <laughs> it's not that great because your connections to people are pretty tenuous. You don't have real human connection. You don't True. have any real love in your life. And it seems like people are trying to warn Julian of that along the way, and he just doesn't get it. Yeah. And then when he needs people the most, there's really no one there for him. Well, when we meet him, 
I mean, he's at the top of his game, but he's also, it feels like he's on the rise still, but people are warning him, don't get too far ahead of yourself here. You need the connections that you have, and without it, you wouldn't be able to maintain this lifestyle. Yeah, he's burning a lot of the bridges along the way. Going into business for himself. Literally. Yeah. And those bridges that he torches could be lifelines when he needs them, and then they're not really there because of the way that he's carried on. It's an interesting thing to consider because I think today in 2020, we're much more aware of victim blaming. And even though Julian isn't necessarily like the most moral or or great character, you still feel a little strange being like, well, it's your fault that you're getting framed for murder, (laughs) which is essentially what the movie is trying to push. Not necessarily that direct, but you don't have any friends to lean on when you need them. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's still being the victim of something going on that's beyond his control. Yeah. And I I would say Julian, he doesn't really feel like an anti-hero. He feels like he has like a, a moral compass that you can get behind or some sort of conscious over these things. Like they definitely seem like there's a lot worse characters than him. Oh yeah, for sure. Julian's job is to sell his body to upper-class women This supports and requires an expensive taste in cars and clothes and affords him a luxury Westwood apartment. He is blatantly and unapologetically materialistic, narcissistic, and superficial. He takes pleasure in his work from being able to sexually satisfy women. What's not to like about that? We've already run through the comparisons of Joe from Sunset Boulevard and also the selling yourself to then losing yourself, which was prevalent in Neon Demon. One of the other interesting subtexts of the movie is the gay subtext and Julian's homophobia. Yeah, and very well, much the traditional homophobia. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I think in today's world, rightly so, homophobia is associated a lot with hate more than straight up fear, but Julian feels I mean there's hate there, right. I guess, but it's also fear. And well, you wonder what that all means. It feels like it's all referencing his coming up in the business Probably. and maybe the jobs he had to do. Yeah, and some, anytime some bad you have... shit went down, some some less than zero things <laughs> were happening. Yeah, I think usually when people think of male prostitutes, <laughs> which Julian I... is also the character from Less Than Zero, isn't it? Yeah, I said that. Oh, okay, that was the part of the influence. Yeah, yeah, I think when most people think of male prostitutes now, uh, people are assuming a gay subtext there. I don't. I don't know that there's really a market in most cities for a lot of gigolos that spend time with women. It is. Y- I mean, there's probably wonder. some, but... You wonder how... Uh, success- yeah, I mean, it's got to be a, a tough market to get into. Yeah, and you probably do have to pay your dues with different pimps and stuff. Yeah. How does one even get those like feelers out there? Or going back to our Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the leads. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you just got to know the right people and be in the situations to meet those people apparently being like bilingual or or speaking multiple languages helps in a place like la and probably new york where they have affluent people coming in and out of town so here's a quote from gear about the gay subtext in american chiglo he says quote there's kind of a gay thing flirting through it and i didn't know the gay community at all i wanted to immerse myself in all of that and i had literally two weeks so i just dove in what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I thought that quote was just important to note that we're not making this up. I think you know, How I th- far did he dive in? I think a lot of people have picked up on there's some sort of a tension 
with the gay community throughout this movie and sure it's never really fully explored he like does dip his toes into those waters when he has to find certain people and and interact with that world but it's always overhanging him because of his intense reaction to it yeah (laughs) well his distaste for it yeah I'm and not I, doing that. I think I, I also forgot to mention that the full frontal scene was not in the original script per gear. Oh, so, wow. He requested it be put in. I guess it just came up naturally on set. Yeah. <laughs> <You wanna laughs> Let's hang that dick out. Yeah, we're going to need to see that hog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when you actually watch this movie, and I think we can maybe get into this more at the end, but the trashy elements of this movie are not nearly as in your face as you would think yeah there's not as much nudity in it in general i mean no there really uh, is compared to like a body heat julian's relationship with Anne, his procurer who serves as sort of like a pimp or a madam he says things like i'm in charge basically no gay stuff his yeah. split is more lucrative to him than a t- typical guy right working for her i mean he's like the star athlete for the owner of a team but it's like look at the end of the day the the team the business the owner live on but your career is limited and like right now he's like calling a lot of shots but i mean it it does have an expiration date yeah he's freelancing on his own he clearly thinks he's outgrown and's operation which is kind of a a dark little world in and of itself especially the scene where like her son is there oh yeah she's like the courts don't you know, referencing the courts and all this stuff. And yeah, it's like uh, Julianne Moore from Boogie Nights. Yeah, it definitely is. But he just sort of has this ego and he carries himself as he, as if he's above this world. And Anne is a little bit more willing to put up with it because he is like a, a big star in this world. But she's kind of getting fed up with being cut out of money she thinks is owed to her she's introducing him to clients and then he'll do repeat business with those clients without cutting her in anymore just a lot of stuff that typically wouldn't go down and you kind of get the feel this is not his first go around with doing something like i mean obviously we know he has a history with leon he was probably leon's top guy for a while then this other opportunity presents itself he moves into that world and yeah, I mean, it's just he's he's just climbing over these people, these people that have helped him make a name for himself in the industry. <laughs> After an assignment at a hotel bar, Julian meets Michelle Stratton, a California state senator's wife. This scene yep. is really cool looking. It's this the bar, bar is like awesome. glowing yeah. red. I was looking at it the second time I was watching this. And when he's walking in, like on everybody's table, they have like little lamps right in the center of the table. That used to be more common back in those days. It was a classy touch. Really? I mean, this is glamorous. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) so they do this whole thing where they're speaking French, right? Yeah, there's a dance going on between Michelle and Julian where... This is a a cat and mouse game that I, I could never play. Obviously, I couldn't speak another language, but this whole back and forth where they're like not really showing all their cards at first. It's just, I mean, it's a level that I would not be able to converse on. Yeah, they're playing this game where they both essentially are trying to take it in a certain direction, but they don't want to be too forward and blow it all at once. At first, I couldn't really figure out if this was planned or if their meeting was actually random. I think it was random. I I think so too, but at first, 
the way that she's like getting after what he does. Well, it's possible that the meeting with and the, Julian the, her friend was random. Coming, yeah. But she was looking for anybody. Okay. Like yeah, she right. thought this would be the type of place. The implication being that she's not getting fucked correct at home. Yeah. She's looking for some dick. So this is Lauren Hutton. Originally was possibly going to be Julie Christie. Wow. I think it works better though. She does have a being Julie a slightly Christie more vibe. Unknown. Yeah. yeah. The, the kind of that European look and feel. I don't really know offhand if Lauren Hutton is American or not, but she seems vaguely British. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Both of these two, like, act like they can't tell where the other is from. I mean, Richard Gere says he's from Torino, but, like... Yeah. And that he doesn't have his accent anymore from traveling. But then he thinks she's not from America. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Over time, Michelle will become more and more obsessed with Julian. I also like when they're talking and, and she asks him how many languages he knows, and he says five or six. Yeah. Like he doesn't know how many languages he's he can speak. he's counting Swedish, which is like what he's trying to work Because he's on. like, oh, yeah, he's on his way there. Why did you come on to me? Like I said, I made a mistake. I heard you speaking French. Often in these big hotels, you, you run into women from foreign countries who may need a translator or a guide. And they hire you? Yes. How many uh, languages do you speak? Five or six. Plus the uh, international language. That's right. Well, now, you're something really special. You want to talk. I saw you sitting here. You wanted me to come over. I came over. I know what I see. How much would you have charged me? As what? A translator or a guide? No. Just one fuck. Now you've made a mistake. I don't do that. Don't, huh? I know what I see too. Okay. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Madame Just. Don't spoil More chance. The feelings of Michelle are pretty clear at all times, though at times throughout the movie, it sometimes feels like Julian cares for Michelle as well. Yeah, I'd say so. His feelings for a lot of it, though, are a little bit more ambiguous. I think it's clearer at the end of the film when he's trying to basically save her from right ruining her going life down on the ship <laughs> yeah. with him. The first meeting ends without going anywhere, but yeah, well, she, I guess, figures like out. <laughs> is he hinting at it, or she figures out what he is? through this conversation he speaks the international language he's taking a step back because i think she's coming on and saying that's what he is right 
And he's like, no, 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 I'm just You're a, mistaken. Yeah, I'm just a chauffeur and a yeah. guide and stuff. I yeah. don't do anything like that. What are you talking about? I meet women from other countries, and then they pay <laughs> me to drive them around. Yeah, she's intrigued, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, she comes right out. Doesn't she say, like, how much would you charge me for one fuck or something like that? Something pretty crass in this Yeah. One? Yeah, and I think, like, the boldness of her language was shocking at the time. Yeah, like, it was still shocking for me. In movies, mainstream American movies Wouldn't did not say like stuff this. like that. Yeah, this movie was definitely envelope pushing in 1980. You have to remember that it hadn't even been that long. Well, as a child of the 80s, I do remember that. Yeah, that they were even allowing naked people. Oh wow! I mean, you're, you're talking about what like was even the point? The late 60s, where that started to happen. Sure. So, like, we're only like a little over a decade later. That'd be like if in 2000 and seven all of a sudden there's tits in mainstream movies and then like you know you're still within (laughs) that first getting used to it phase and now you're having and they were just like we got to see how much we can ratchet this up dick (laughs) something common in Schrader's films is his use of independent male figures outcasts to explore love and the desire for companionship Travis Bickle being the best example seems completely lost in normal <laughs> yeah. society. He takes Sybil Shepherd to a porno theater. She's like a classy lady. It just completely bombs. Yeah. And then, <laughs> not, not at first, though. And then he befriends a child prostitute. It's just oh, real. Yeah, not a lot of great decisions. Fucking weird. And now Julian kind of picking up that mantle. This is another quote from Overexposures, and I think this will be the last one. Okay. <laughs> Maybe like as like a bonus you can read the third. It's an interesting 20 pages. It's a, it's a chapter dedicated essentially to talking about this movie. <laughs> and I'm going to read every one of those pages. <laughs> quote, American Gigolo is full of the longing that natural solitaries feel for the idea of company and love. Julian Kay is like Travis Bickle in that he spends time alone, honing his body and advancing on his own spirit. Both men have a burden of hope or responsibility toward the world that they need to deliver. Bickle is far less sophisticated, and he searches among women without any sense of what they see in him. Julian knows all female bodies and has become immune to their personalities until Lauren Hutton. As boyish as a Cranich virgin and as Randy manages to penetrate the very hallowed theatrical and romantic sense he has of himself. So she kind of enters his world, and for the first time, this facade that he's built of himself in sort of a emotionless world of prostitution, sure, yeah. she's causing these cracks for the first time. Yeah, especially when she comes over to his apartment. Because you would think he would just be like, what are you doing here? But he lets her in. I think visually... The idea of putting Hutton and Gear together was a little bit different from what people were used to. However, the difference in age is not even that drastic. It's just six years. Okay. Whereas Gloria Swanson and William Holden in Sunset Boulevard was 20 years. Oh, right, yeah. And that was way more shocking in 1950. just was not something ever portrayed in movies, which is why they steered clear of any romantic angle, really. The the two in this movie feel like peers yeah he definitely is in with some older women especially the one who i think he was with before the scene at the bar yeah she seems a lot older than him yes but michelle i mean they they seem not that far apart in age true and i i don't know necessarily that 
Schrader was Going that for. interested in like yeah. a graduate Mrs. Robinson dynamic or anything. It's <laughs> Which just I what people were the other picked night, up on. And I'm like, she doesn't look that much older than him in that either because she's right. Not, right. Yeah, but you have to remember that people were used to stars in their 40s and 50s with female leads that were like 20 sure the the women yeah. always were demonstrably younger right so even being close in age was a, probably a little different than what they're used to and then having the woman be older at all was strange oh yeah they eventually begin an extramarital affair over the course of the movie something that we talked about in body heat there's a lot of different vibes though about this affair whereas there's always a seediness in body heat to the whole ordeal. Yeah. Because it doesn't take long for money and plotting to get involved. Right. They just seem like they have fun when they hang out with each yeah, other. Yeah, there's almost a weird innocence and I would say every like, time that they're together in this movie. The joy from the two of them, yeah, is apparent. And like you don't really... You feel this darkness generally around the Julian character, but like... There is this sort of whimsical feeling when they're hanging out with each other. Well, <laughs> this movie, though, is not that whimsical because... No, no. <laughs> Julian decides to take a last-minute gig for this guy named Leon, played by Bill Duke. And this is one of these things that you're like, why? Why does he really take this I job? I guess for the money and for needing a favor, he doesn't realize what is going to be happening. Sure. Though. No, I know, but it, it, he's like reluctant to take the job. It seems like well, he, he's in a pretty good place career-wise. It's like a gig that's going to pay like 500 or something, and he's only going to give Leon like 50 bucks. Okay. So, I mean, he's taking like 90%, yeah. which is really it's high. Is 50 bucks worth Leon's time setting this up? Well, you lose your reputation. Yeah, okay. You want to be able you to come through deliver. for people. That's right. I think somebody dropped out was the deal. And that's, yes, he true. was like a replacement. So this gig is in Palm Springs. It's for a family... <laughs> <laughs> Not a family, a couple. <laughs> it's it's a family deal. No, it's the Rymans. They're a husband and wife, and the husband's going to watch. Julian's yeah. okay with this as long as there's no gay stuff, and he's like, all right. <laughs> so Julian goes in there. Disappointed. All right. He's sort of uh, doing his normal deal, like sort of sweet-talking the wife and being like romantic, and the husband's yeah, he's like, like a woman whisperer. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. It turns into a whole hardcore BDSM scene that we don't actually ever see, but yeah. it, it the husband kicks it off by saying, slap that cunt. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty so rough. Uh, if people were wondering where that word came from in the quote from the Thompson book that I read, I mean, it's directly from the text itself. I mean, it's from the movie. Yeah, I, I would say things get kind of scary here. I mean, Mr. Ryman seems insane. But it cuts away, though, before anything too crazy happens. True. And I but think you that are left feeling like some shit went down that wasn't great. Yeah, and I think that this movie capitalizes on people's voyeuristic feelings because it's, I think, designed in a way to make you feel guilty for wanting to see what happens next a couple of times in the movie. And yeah. this is one of them where you're like... What happened back yeah, there? What exactly, yeah. how bad did it get? Because then the next day, Julian's pissed at Leon for sending him on a rough trick. He's not into... Kinky, kinky assignments stuff. or gay assignments. And this maybe was both. <laughs> well, I don't think the gay yeah. part. Julian carries with him, though, all of this arrogance. He's got shit figured out, and he's smarter than everyone all the time. There's a sort of selective morality in his life. In right, other words, yeah. he's this shady character working in a illegal business. Well, he has a code. And he's come up with his own code. 
And he has a line that he doesn't want to cross. And he's annoyed at other people who don't necessarily follow his own made-up well, again, morality. It, it's like he's tried to turn prostitution into like this glamorous... Art form. Yeah. You made quite a hit in Palm Springs. They want you back. I'm serious. I want you to come back this week. I wouldn't take much, you know. It's uh, the regulars for me. You lied to me, Leon. It was a rough trick. I forgot you, uh, you got scruples now, huh? Well, I don't like playing the same numbers too often. They get possessive. I can't be possessed. She's supposed to be Absolutely. That include Miss Ann? Ann who? <laughs> well, I don't know why you fool around with that dumb bitch. I'll tell you why, Liam. She's got a job coming up for me in a week. Hey, Graham. Can you get me that? All right. All right. Thanks, sir. Just trying to warn you, that's all. I mean, uh, bitches sell you out. But you really care about me, don't you? Don't you, Leon? <laughs> you care. You know, you walk an awful thin line, Julie. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. I mean, you're getting awful cocky. All the rest of the boys are happy with a car, a house in the hills, but not you. You get all your rich pussy lined up, once a month tricks, a dip in the pool, a little tennis, and orgasm. I'm just trying to warn you as a friend. If those bitches ever turn on you, you're through. You sure about that? They'll cut you out. Leon has a warning, though, that one day these bitches, these old bitches you you fuck are going to turn on you and then they're <laughs> going to discard you because beauty fades, essentially. That's right. It's, it's pretty a convenient good in the terms of the narrative that it happens right away. <laughs> but I think the idea is you've convinced yourself that you're more than you are to these women that you spend time with, that they yeah. will throw you right they in the trash Julian. as soon as you, as yeah. soon as they need to. Michelle comes to see Julian. This is where she says, I, I want to know what it would be like to fuck you. Yeah. This is a, a full court press as we call it. This first scene between the two of them where they have sex for the first time. Do you think that Julian's acting on sympathy or desire? Well, also I was finding myself thinking it's, I don't think it's really talked about. Right. But like, He's, he must be blowing off another job. He was like getting ready to leave suit yeah. on and everything. I think he flakes out on Anne a couple of times, yeah. which is what leads to the end. Sure. But what do you think? What, what was Sympathy the question? Sympathy or desire? <laughs> it's hard to say. I is mean, he like super into her at this point or is he just like, well, she's really, she really wants me to do it, so I'll do it. At this point of the movie, it feels more like sympathy. There's certainly a thin line between the two in this scene. But I don't really know when the moment changes that he's like into her either. Like if, if you're saying like right now that he's not and this is just sympathy and she's shown up with this press and it's like, well, all right. I don't really know when that changes to, okay, I'm into this broad. Well, he's certainly intrigued by her fortitude. Yes. And so I do think that his feelings develop over time i don't know if there's like one specific moment where yeah. it goes okay. from not into it to into although it. i do feel like they are putting this out there that he doesn't bring women to his apartment and he's letting her in so there's something yes. different about her for sure 
there's a little something that I can't quite put my finger on, but I guess you could reasonably assume that he's been intrigued since they first met at the motel. I would agree. Or the hotel restaurant. As Julian embarks on this new uncharted terrain with Michelle, he learns that Judy Ryman, the kinky trick yeah. from Palm Springs, has been murdered. <laughs> He's just like reading it in the paper, like by his pool, right? Yeah. And it's just like, well, like just did you casually. get a look at the Ryman's house, like how that modern art architecture that he yeah. pulls up to? I mean, I think they're supposed to be big time okay. people right. down in the Palm Springs area. The type of people that would get a whole article. Okay speculating makes on a murder. sense but he, it is almost like his initial reaction is just like huh that's weird yeah but i guess you could read into it that they're willing I, to dip their toes yeah. into a kind of a i guess things maybe, iffy world maybe went a little too far yeah. the other night even on first viewing it's hard to say i never feel like julian did it but maybe it is supposed to be in the viewer's head that it's like did he do it? Because we don't know what happened. I never I, felt that I, way. I didn't either, but I, I didn't know if that was something they may have been going for. Yeah, I think that this movie is king-shaming a little bit. Just the implication. Yeah, it's really that unfortunate that they would if you're king-shame into, people like this. If you're only into rough sex, that you're going to lead it's, to murder. <laughs> <laughs> they forgot the safe word. LAPD Detective Sunday, played by Hector Lozondo. Just sort of an unfortunate look to him. <laughs> bad face. Yeah. <laughs> As Julian says, you got a bad face. He interviews Doesn't exercise that jaw enough. Mr. Ryman about the murder of his wife. That's like a funny scene. They're like, we found all these dildos and paddles. <laughs> it's like yeah, when, like they, when, you, when you, I when commit suicide eventually, <laughs> yeah. they find what's in I my I come over apartment. to do the pod. I'm just like knocking on the door. Like no answer ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the whole, the whole thing about. We're all just waiting for it single dudes if yeah. they die like the just the horrific shit that <laughs> their family is gonna find <laughs> ryman subsequently identifies julian when sunday's like pressing him on like what the fuck's been going on people that were in your house so then sunday becomes focused on julian julian doesn't seem to realize the potential trouble brewing and is reluctant to cooperate fully due to the nature of his business yeah He's Listen, not interested in giving names. It might not. What I do might not be to the exact letter of the law. Yeah. Tried and true. Seen it on a million law and orders when yeah. prostitutes are involved <laughs> or drug people. They don't want to get involved. On the night of the murder, Julian was with a client named Lisa Williams. However, when push comes to shove, Lisa elects to protect her marriage by not providing an alibi for Julian. So... Fair. When you were talking about, are we supposed to ever think that maybe Julian did it? I think it's reasonable that you ask that question because we don't actually ever see him spending time with Lisa beyond that auction thing. And even like as the movie goes on, his alibi does start to feel like it's made up. Yeah, we only see him with Lisa at this auction. That's all she's willing to admit, like Julian's helping decorate or something. Yeah, right. But he's claiming Please. that they then spent time at her house and he didn't leave until like one in the morning or something like that. Yeah. So he thinks he has an alibi all night. She's not willing to confirm that. We never saw him spend time with her beyond the auction, so we don't really know. But I don't ever really feel like... Agreed. Same. He murdered Mrs. Ryman. But do you think during this initial stuff with Sunday that he actually believes Julian is guilty? Because that's kind of hard to tell. Uh... 
Well, certainly by the time we get to the lineup, I would say so. But at this point, I don't think he does think Julian did it. Does Julian's flippancy and attitude towards Sunday make it worse for himself? I don't think it helps the situation because I do feel like Sunday actually lays it out. And I feel like he's being genuine in this moment where he's like, listen, I know you're a male prostitute. I could have your chauffeur's license taken. I know that you do drugs. I don't really know that that's he basically says that I could have you arrested for a drug charge. I don't know what that's based on, but... Um, yeah, because I don't think they've even searched his apartment yet. Right, but he is like, I'm not planning on doing any of that stuff, but I do want you to just tell me like what was going on that night while you were there, which it seems like he could do Yeah, and won't. I guess there's probably a code also that you well, don't true. talk about the clients because yeah. you that would affect future business. Well, like People don't want to get involved with you then. And maybe there's a, a plot detail that's exonerating... Ryman, but I, wouldn't you be like, maybe you should look at the husband? <laughs> well, he claims he has an airtight alibi. Yeah, that's so, right. I, they do mention that, yes. Which I, it seems like whatever was going on, it feels like he would have been there for. Yeah, and I think even by the end of the movie, you're never really 100% sure exactly what, what all happened. happened. Yeah. Julian starts to realize he's being framed, but he doesn't know by who yet, and he doesn't know why, obviously. So he turns to Anne for help she's willing to maybe help him but she wants something in return yeah i think i'm in a frame who's putting you in i don't know unless he was a frame it's that ryman murder on palm springs trick with them once just once favor to leon two-timing bastard so i'm a nice guy i can't help him check around for me why don't you ask your new friend leon I may just do that. You trick for other people. You cheat me out of money. And then when you need a favor, you come back to me. If I help you, you'll have to help me. How? You'll have to come back to me. Work strictly for me. Wait a minute, man. No. No, it's got nothing to do with that. Like shit, it no. doesn't. I mean, Julie. Uh-huh. I taught you everything you know. How to dress, how to behave, how to treat women, how to make love. And then one day you come to me and say, I'm too good for you. And caught me out. And it ain't right, Julie. Things are different. I'm more than what I used to be. I'm getting older, man. I gotta keep moving forward. Just move. Please, Julie, save me the speeches. How's your Swedish coming? I'll be ready. She's flying in from Stockholm on Thursday. She apparently has certain sexual idiosyncrasies. You're gonna come back with me. You did it, didn't you? What? The Ryman killing. Don't worry, Julie. It doesn't matter. The first half of the film is set up in plot development, and then the second half is sort of a spiraling it is walls a, are closing it in. It feels like a slow burn that as this starts to unravel for him. It's a journey through Julian's growing desperation. I, I wouldn't say At first I, I wouldn't say he's taking it as seriously as he needs to. Although I guess he's like, they don't have anything on me. And then the turning point is when he is like being brought in for a lineup. 
Yeah, I would agree with that, but I also think that that's just an attitude thing. I mean, well, when you true. say take it yeah. seriously, what is he going to do? There's just nothing he can do. He tells them what his alibi is, but his alibi won't be confirmed well, by the person I know, he was with. But as the movie goes on, he gets less and less cool about that and more and more panicky. Yeah, I think he was probably assuming that the truth would set him free, which is always like a naive thing to believe if you're already considered a suspect. Oh, yeah. Because at a certain point, detectives and stuff have to start coming up with a theory and if you seem like the likely candidate then they're going to start angling the investigation not on the murder anymore but on you oh yes and so then it becomes up to you almost to prove that you didn't do it which is not really how it works in a court of law but if we're just trying to take a case to court if they're not getting anywhere with anything else and then you don't have this alibi you were involved with in a rough sex situation previously your fingerprints are probably somewhere around and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It just becomes hyper-focused on you and you alone. It isn't unlike the end of Goodfellas, the paranoia and stuff. Oh, it's true, yeah. Because, yeah, Julian's identified in a lineup by an eyewitness, but then there's a little bit of uncertainty there, so he's like he's still potentially like, when they, one of the people. When they get into the lineup, he still is maintaining sort of his cocky attitude a little bit, fucking around with the other people in the lineup. But I do feel like there's a change in demeanor once they get back into the detective's office and they're just like, you were identified. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And then money with Mrs. Ryman's fingerprints is found under Julian's mattress when the police search his place. Yeah. Julian then goes to see Lisa Williams to try to get her to tell the truth regarding his alibi, but there's no dice there. <laughs> no, her husband is like, she was with me. And that's when he finally starts to realize that he never meant anything to these people, that her reputation is more important yeah. than get, keeping him out of jail. Now, you do wonder, when Julian left, what's the conversation between Lisa and her husband? Well, like, I think he doesn't the, want the I scandal. I think in those probably. kind of yeah, he doesn't want the scandal, but he's probably has like a young girlfriend or something. Hey, yeah. I think that's the whole idea why these women come to Julian is that their husbands are just not interested in them oh, anymore. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> you know how it is. Sure. Michelle's husband, meanwhile, Senator Stratton has Julian followed. This leads to a meeting. The senator seems to think that Julian is planning to blackmail Michelle into having oh, yeah. him help with Julian's murder beef which hasn't even crossed julian's mind well it, yeah he's like what are you talking about i'm you know we're just going for a roll in the hay having a time yeah this is where he's like i want to spend time with her and she wants to spend time with me it has nothing, nothing to do with that and senator's just, just like she's boring and annoying like what are you talking about i'm not gonna how believe much? that how yeah. much yeah <laughs> julian goes to find leon this is like the the gay subtext cranked up to 10 like oh, he goes yeah, to that right. nightclub well, that again. It's called like probe or something. We do talk about this, you know, on a lot of episodes, but I do love the pre cell phone world. Just like having to find someone is like, I got to drive all over town and like ask, ask people yeah. like where this person might be. After all, it was Leon that got Julian mixed up with the Ryman's in the first place. So he comes to Leon thinking that he can still trust him and he's looking for an alibi. Leon's like, all right, I can come up with an alibi for you, but he wants an exchange, he wants tricks. It's going to be like a whole thing. Leon's <laughs> like, like hey, this rich clientele that you're used to working with, they think you're damaged goods now. Too many eyes, too much risk. Because when <laughs> they all know him by name, like even if they're even not like afraid the new prospects to be even if they're, they're not afraid to be murdered by Julian, they still don't want right. somebody who's got the police watching them and all that shit. 
it kind of takes away from the discreet nature Although of the it, transaction. If you're a hip, old, white, rich lady, you've just hit the point where you're like, okay, I think I'm ready to enter into this world of sexy male prostitutes. How would you know? Like, word is getting around that the cops are looking at this Julian character? Yeah, I think, I think so. Okay. All right. I, I think don't the know. rhyme in it's not murder my is expertise. supposed to be like high profile enough okay. where they think it's people this would guy. hear about the, yeah. the but situation. But you would also think that like he would have like aliases that he uses. No, I don't know. Okay, I don't think it's that big of a deal in L.A. Sure, I think you could go out to the pool at one of those fancy hotels. <laughs> Every right dude now, is and a male prostitute. Yeah, yeah, there's probably tons of these dudes hanging around right now. I think we've heard a lot of the stories about certain people that have been me too <laughs> sure yeah. that are involved with younger dudes oh and boy, stuff. i think yeah. this is that kind of a world all right michelle tells julian that she's gonna go to rome for two months at her husband's request oh okay and you know i'm about to go to jail he doesn't really like fight her on it i guess because now he's thinking that her involvement it's with for the him better could potentially bring her down which is weird because it is just like i don't know it's a scandal okay it's gonna ruin her marriage but, I mean, is it really that bad? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah. I think that during this part of the film where everything's sort of frantic and everything's turned up a little bit, the interactions between the characters don't resonate as much because everything feels more panicky. Because this leads right into Julian looking for the jewels. Yeah. It's a great looking scene too where he comes into his apartment and it's all that light coming through the blinds. It's sort of an iconic he just like moment his, of this movie. <laughs> his apartment just like keeps getting destroyed. He had to yeah, have it like he destroys it himself now right. cuz he's convinced that these missing jewels from the Ryman house have been planted somewhere. Yeah. on him. Now, when he starts ripping through his apartment, is that after he sees the young blonde man fucking around by his car in the garage or is that Still after this. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. Well, he doesn't. He hasn't dismantled the Mercedes yet, so that might be after this. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, then he goes out, takes his car apart, literally piece by piece. Yeah. Just ripping it apart in this parking garage. He finds the jewels eventually, but he can't really drive his car around anymore. And so this all has basically led to Julian losing himself completely. He's lost... The image he created. That's right. He's got to rent a car. He's driving a cheap rental car. He's unshaven. His clothes are no longer on point. The desperation is building. And that's when Julian spots He's Leon and do- Mr. Ryman together. Oh, yes. So the picture is now becoming clear as to yep. what is going on. But he's so far in now, and the spotlight on him is so bright from Sunday and the police that even learning this information is not really doing anything other than realizing that he's not going to get an alibi right. from Leon. Yeah. It's like, well, what can he even do now? One of Julian's last allies, Anne, turns her back on him after he forgets to pick up an important client yeah, for this her is one that she, he had been scheduled to meet. Yeah, she had been planning this one for a while. I mean, a lot of work. This has got to be a big payday if he's got to like learn a language for it. Throughout the movie, he had been occasionally practicing Swedish, learning Swedish. This was some big thing that they had been planning so it's for like months. like the great white whale. And he's like, who fucking cares? This is my life. I'm fucked. And 
his own selfishness is repaid with selfishness from her and it's this endless yeah she's like i care selfish world this is my business julian then warns michelle to stay away save herself just don't be involved i'm hopeless at this point i don't i can't get out of this the police are now claiming to have found the murder weapon a block from his apartment (laughs) well that's a bad sign and are planning to arrest him so julian in sort of a last gasp effort, he goes to confront Leon at Leon's pad and the new boy oh, is yeah. hanging around. And Julian guesses that this new boy that's been palling around with Leon, his new hustler, he's the one that actually did the killing. Then they were having to scramble to pin it on someone else. To figure out what to do. Basically, I guess this dude is maybe like a bit of a psychopath and he just went too far in oh, this no. rough sex game or something. And where does Ryman stand on the whole thing? He's cool with it. Yeah. Well, clearly he was just treating his wife as sort of a a blank canvas for his like fucked up fantasies. Yeah. A lot of sadness there. Yeah. When confronted with Julian's accusations and knowledge, Leon essentially shrugs it off unimpressed. <laughs> and he's like... BFD. The other side will always pay more when Julian offers him like everything he's got. Yeah. Like 20000 or 30000 or whatever he says. In a fit of rage, Julian Wild. pushes Leon off of a balcony in this high-rise apartment. Pushes him from inside, though, right? Right when he like opens yeah. the door. It's like a small little thing yeah. like I have in my apartment, although not as high up. But it is a good shove. And so then, much so that it throws him over. <laughs> yeah, he changes his mind immediately, regretting oh, it. Oh, yeah, whoops. Should not have done and that. He tries to pull Leon back up, but he can't. And it's a it scene is, that drags on for like a few minutes. And he, I think it's uh, Julian essentially realizing that if Leon knows about the frame, he's really the only one left that could possibly explain, even if he's saying he's not going to do it or whatever. But yeah, it's his last chance. Once he's off the table, then there's really no hope of anybody explaining what happened. Yeah. And you do wonder, even going through to the end of the movie, this was a big question to me. What sort of investigation went on around Leon's death? They do address it, but it, it's it's not really a <laughs> yeah. good explanation. So Julian is arrested, and his lawyer does tell him that and, they're not pursuing Leon's yeah. death because the maid came back and saw Julian trying to pull him up. But I was like, that doesn't really <laughs> explain how he got to the point where he's hanging over the side in the first place. Right. So <laughs> he fell. Just because you change your mind, I mean, you would still be charged if you're the one that pushed the person over. Yeah, you would think. So there's not really an explanation. And they do, th- and they think he committed another murder. So like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't the first thought be that he was trying to kill Leon? Yeah, yeah. I guess you could sort of explain it away in that Leon is a criminal. He's black. The police don't care really? about this. And Judy Ryman was from high society. That's true. But yeah, it's not a great explanation. They just sort of but if throw trying, it in there in one uh, line. Yeah, I mean, they might not care about Leon, but if you're trying to have a murder case stick, if you're charging him with another murder, you would think that you know helps their case. All right, moving Essentially, on. yeah. Because once he's arrested and he's in jail, the explanation here is just sort of, hey, Michelle shows up. At yeah. the last minute, basically, tells the police that she was with Julian the night of Judy Ryman's murder, sacrificing her marriage and reputation to save him, and they just take her word for it, and then well, everything's fine. 
which even doesn't though make it any seems sense. like there's mountains of evidence against him, and also the fact that he used a different woman's name as a potential alibi. So I mean, I guess that she, in movie land terms, like she's carrying the power of like a California state senator, so they have to like just believe her and take her seriously. Yeah, I guess. Although it seems like she'd be like losing that power by admitting this. Oh yeah, for future benefit. Yeah. But if she's who she says she is, she's coming in with that reputation and she's saying he was with me, then they have to kind of believe it, I guess. Because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Lieutenant Curtis? Yes, Miss Stratton. This is Nana. Miss it. I was told you wanted to see me. What can I do for you? I want to talk to you about the Julian K. Ryman murder case. I'm paying for Mr. K's legal defense. I know. I'm paying for Mr. K's defense because I know he's not guilty, and I don't want to see an obstruction of justice. How do you know he's not guilty? Because he was not in Palm Springs the night of the murder. No? No. He was with me. them, Julian. Uh, you didn't have to do that, Michelle. You could have forgotten me. I'd rather die. What will you do now? I don't know. I can't go home. Newsmen are waiting outside for me. There's dozens of them. The frame was so good that there was enough physical evidence that you could be like, well... What was the murder weapon? I think it was just like a pipe or something. Like a long stick or some kind. What a wild night that ended up being. Yeah, I mean, the movie dances around the real salaciousness of like how fucked up that was. Because like Sunday at one point, she's basically assaulted sexually with the murder weapon. Oh. So, yeah, it's pretty grotesque. Yeah. This is our second selection of this year's One Trashy Summer. Last year we did, I think, five movies. Yeah. And every time we did it, we basically argued for a way how the movie's not actually trashy and has some <laughs> sort of value beyond yeah. just sleaze. Well, and I feel that way with Body Heat, too. And I, I, Is American Gigolo the least trashy, though, that we've done so far? I think so. It's in contention. Well, it is right up there because it is like you would think, and especially the way the movie starts off. I mean, you get some nudity at Anne's pad. Like, there's a couple girls hanging out there. And then the whole thing with Miss Ryman originally, like, you know, you do think that this the is details. 
are more salacious than single white female, but single white female throws in a bunch of gratuitous nudity for no sure. reason. Right. And that <laughs> this movie is definitely This doesn't have the nudity, but the details nudity. are more or more trashy. True. We're um, talking about how brutal the murder and rape of Mrs. Ryman is and the fact that the main character is a male prostitute. Yeah. Stuff like that. I do like the vibe of American Gigolo, though. I, I feel like it feels sleeker than a lot of the trashy movies. Yeah. It's probably one of... It's hard to say, but I mean, it's probably one of Schrader's best movies that he directed, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Because it's such a an iconic style. I wish that more people would see this movie now, because even though it was a big hit, and it was like definitely a talk of the 80s you know one of those like water cooler type movies i oh, think yeah. when it came out and in the years that followed it it didn't have legs there's no as as they say on like other podcasts that annoy me it didn't have a tail <laughs> okay. in other words yeah. it didn't have something that kept it going long enough in today's society where it's held up like a taxi driver or other movies of that era. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you are fair. talking about a movie that is 40 years old now. And we're still super interested in it. Yeah, we are, but yeah, it sure. just doesn't hold that classic status. I guess maybe the plot holds it back a little bit. It yeah. does kind of feel the ending of it. You're like kind of unsatisfied with the explanation of the murder. <laughs> yeah. You're like this character that didn't talk that we saw like twice briefly, I guess killed Mrs. Ryman. You're they not all- even a hundred percent sure that's true. Michelle, like Detective Sunday and like a bunch of other cops just go into like some back office and they all go, I didn't see anything. Did you see anything? (laughs) It is like a very roadhouse ending. Yeah. Then they go to like a restaurant, like at the end of Gone Girl, we're all just like, man. What a wild time that was. That was fucked up. It's like, are we going to charge Mr. Ryman? I mean, who knows? We never, I guess there was no proof he had an alibi and Leon's dead. (laughs) Yeah. So... Everything, even though the police are just like, well, we have this mountain of evidence against Julian. I guess we're done here. Yeah, well, a hot chick came in and told us what was what, so we have to listen. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Folks, let's get to recommendations. I have one this week, something I watched a few weeks ago. Okay. I have one I could do like this, too. This was one of the main reasons I signed up for HBO Max right off the bat, and that would be Adventure Time, Distant Lands. They announced they were doing four standalone, like, 45-minute episodes of Adventure Time. I'm sure that was usually 15 minutes. Right. The first one debuted on june 25th entitled bemo oh always one of my favorite characters we've never really talked about adventure time on the podcast it's just too much it's a favorite of mine i love the show it's like a comfort show i'm not like a huge animation guy but i do love a few animated shows for comfort and adventure times one bob's burgers and batman the animated series which i'm like obsessed with yeah I wish I could live in that world. I'm like, <laughs> I'm literally like the people who were obsessed with Avatar and That's were depressed right. that they couldn't live in Avatar. I'm like, why can't I live in Batman the Animated Series? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, BMO, the 45 minute episode is hilarious for people who are 
familiar with the show and is, know the is character. Is Bimo actually heavily featured in the episode? Yeah, okay. it's all about well, Bimo. I would okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they haven't had an episode named after a character and then the character was like barely involved. No, Bimo. It's all about Bimo. Okay, good. None of the Bimo other characters are really in it. Okay, I always loved Bimo. Yeah, it's hilarious. Bimo's just just says funny shit. It's just so weird. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Always fun. It was definitely worth it. Episode two, I guess, is coming out sometime this year. It's called Obsidian, and it's all about okay Princess Bubblegum and Marceline. Oh, wow, two uh, other favorites. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a third one, I think, about Peppermint Butler or something, and then a fourth one is about Finn and Jake. Okay. So I don't know if they're gonna do any beyond that, but Adventure Time, which ended on Cartoon Network like a couple years ago, now revived in a way on HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max I think has the potential to be a great service because it has so many movies oh, on I it. I love that they put like a bunch of the Criterion Collection. Movies yeah, it has on a there. huge Turner Classic Movie section, just with tons of stuff, and it has classic shows like Friends and Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It just got South Park. It has The Big Bang Theory and. It has all the HBO stuff as well, but it needs to be like more accessible because it's not on Roku yeah. yet, and it also needs a hit. Like it needs the first thing that's exclusive to HBO Max to make people take it seriously as like a yeah. Netflix competitor. It's hard for them because it's like they have a lot invested in HBO. Do you want to give up one of your top if you think you have like a top show? That's true, but. I think they're looking to compete in the streaming game. Yeah, and I think, which is right. I think that's the way they want to head. To so. expand beyond just people who have HBO, you're going to need something that it draws people in. Now, it was just announced, I think yesterday or the day before, speaking of Batman, they're doing like a, a spinoff show of Matt Reeves' new movie, The Batman, which hasn't even finished filming yet. Okay. It's called like Gotham PD or something like that. I realized that they just did a show called Gotham on Fox that ended its run after like five or six years. But if this is going to be like an HBO show, like HBO style of Gotham with a police procedural with all of the uh, classic Batman villains as like the the people committing the crimes and then the Gotham PD and maybe Batman's like a peripheral character. I don't really know how it would work, but... If you're going to have swearing and intense violence and nudity and stuff that you're always guaranteed yeah. with HBO, then I could be a thousand percent in for a Gotham show <laughs> sure. on HBO Max. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. That, that could be fun. All right. So what's your recommendation? Um, I have one. I, I guess I've been sitting on this one for a little bit, and I guess this is an appropriate time to use it. Actually, a trashy movie. All right. The Postman Always Rings Twice. Have you ever seen this? The, the remake with Jack Nicholson? Yes, yes. and Jessica Lange. Yes, I uh, have. Ru- I, one of those movies where they're always like rumored to have actually had sex. Yeah. <laughs> you never really know. Well, it's one of those things, again, where it's like, it seems like a rape, but like she's into it, which, you know, like... <laughs> it was definitely just, like a style right. <laughs> that they don't do anymore. Um, but it's funny, like, over COVID, I was watching, I watched Five Easy Pieces and had never seen it, loved it. I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I figured that'd be a movie. Oh like. yeah, I absolutely loved it. And then I'm like, I gotta see more Bob Raffleson movies. And I was like looking, looking them up. So there's like King of Marvin Gardens, which is only part of their, you know, America yeah. Lost and Found. I watched set. that over COVID as so, well. So and then like Postman Always Rings Twice isn't streaming anywhere. So I just bought the Blu-ray for like six bucks. David Mamet wrote the screenplay, Pulitzer Prize-winning author. Yeah, it was a movie that was like actually kind of not well received at yeah, the time. I can see that. Because there was an original. People were like, this isn't good. 
my memory of it was I love the first half, and then it it slowly like loses sure. momentum after it, a while. Yeah. We're like, what is going on? But I mean, boy, does it fit this vibe. I mean, it is like it's body heat. It's yeah. you know, once they get together, there's a plot to kill the husband. It, you know, it fails originally, and then they have to yeah. try it again, <laughs> which is insane. But then there's like this whole thing of like, was this like a plan outside of him the whole time? And it's like a double cross. Right. So, you know, it has all of our favorite elements. There's (laughs) some good stuff there. Yeah. I like a lot of Bob Rafelson movies. He sort of lost momentum after a while. There's this really weird movie he made with Jeff Bridges, Sally Field, and Arnold Schwarzenegger in a very early role, like in the 70s, called like Stay Hungry. Okay. It's a really strange movie. You see Sally Field's butt in it. Which All is right. Hot. Wow. I, I am a Sally Field fan. But yeah, he had those classic movies with Nicholson around the end of the 60s, at the beginning of the 70s. It's been like sort of, it was sort of hit or miss after that as far yeah. as quality. But I am familiar with The Postman Always Rings Twice. I feel like, you know, maybe. And that's a Blu ray only recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> the, the best kind. Because yeah. you know people are going to run out to buy that Blu ray. <laughs> hey, it's, well, you know. For the hardcores. I bet, like, you know, there's like a Keith out there or something that would. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That'll do it for American Gigolo. We got two more entries of One Trashy Summer left to go. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon.
If this factory goes under, the whole town goes under. And that's when the whores come in. Here we go. Excuse me, what was that? Not again. Men laying their trick money down, $20 to pay the rent. Maybe instead I'll spend it on the whore. Maybe I can help. I'll give you everything I got. My house, the stock. If I give you that stuff as collateral, then will you give us that loan? Well, yes, I suppose so. Wait a second. What are you saying, Tommy? You just want to hand over your inheritance? Right. If it'll help get the brake pads going. My dad said the new pads were the future at Callahan. But who's going to sell them? I will. I'll go on my dad's sales trip. I'll be damned. Horrors running around doing their little behind shake for the menfolk. I kind of like her idea. For Christ's sake. Once during the war, I visited a prostitute, and my life has been a living hell ever since. 